You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is September 18th, and this is episode 191 of Lighthearted. We're going to hear two interviews in today's episode. First, we'll hear my conversation with Emily Sullivan, the curator of the Cape Cod Maritime Museum, and then we'll hear an interview with two people involved with the preservation of the Verona Beach Lighthouse in New York. So, Cindy, anything new from the Tucson, Arizona Office of Lighthearted? <laughs> well, it's a long summer here, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, we could use some more rain, um, but other than that, things are things are good. We're still seeing some neat creatures here, uh, tarantulas once in a while, um, the great horned owls that have been here, lots of hummingbirds, as usual. I'll actually be in New Hampshire on a trip home in mid-September when this airs, and I'll definitely be swinging by our beloved Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse while I'm there. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Yeah. Well, I'll probably, hopefully, see you there or somewhere uh, during your stay, uh, maybe uh, for a lunch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you and um, Michelle Charlotte or... and Michelle, yeah, our other yeah. um, regular co-host. We'll have a lighthearted party. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm still thinking about those tarantulas. I'm not sure I, I, I You can... know, they, it, it takes a little getting used to, but um, they're, they're really neat and they really, they, they can't hurt you. They're really neat to watch. And um, I don't know, my mom, my mom just loves them. If you saw them in your house, um, right. <laughs> I'd probably jump on the bed and scream. But seeing them outside, it's they're really neat. Uh huh. I I take your word for it, but you can keep, <laughs> you, you can keep them in Arizona. Yeah, no, they're yeah, yeah they're d- different. Well, it's, this is uh, not actually a podcast about tarantulas, so we should probably talk about lighthouses a bit. <laughs> So uh, the lighthouse season, nice nice segue here. The lighthouse season is starting to wind down here in the Northeast. Uh, lots of lighthouse organizations, of course, as you well know, uh, close their properties by Columbus Day weekend in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some lighthouses in warmer parts of the country stay open all year, of course. Uh, here at Portsmouth Harbor Light in New Hampshire, we have a few more weeks of tours by reservation. Friday evenings and Sunday afternoons, you can book a tour at Portsmouth harborlighthouse.org. We also have a lighthouse cruise from Rye, New Hampshire on September 24th, Saturday, September 24th in the morning. Last time I checked, which is just before we started recording, there were just a few spaces left. By the time people hear this on September 18th, it may be sold out. But if uh, people are interested, they should check out our, our website because might still be spaces available. Definitely. So, Cindy, has anything interesting happened on the state lighthouse history? Yes. On September 18, 1873, a hurricane destroyed the lighthouse and keeper's house on Dog Island off Carabel on Florida's Panhandle. Congress appropriated funds for a replacement, but it was never built because it was decided there wasn't enough maritime traffic in the area. In 1999, a team of maritime archaeologists discovered the remains of Dog Island Lighthouse using side-scan sonar. 
That's right. The uh, submerged brick ruins are located off the coast of the island because the island itself is actually slowly migrating toward land. The site was reinvestigated by Florida State University archaeologists in 2006, and remains of the Keeper's House were also found. So let's go to our first interview. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about the Cape Cod Maritime Museum and our guest, Emily Sullivan. Sure, Jeremy. The Cape Cod Maritime Museum in Hyannis, Massachusetts, focuses on Cape Cod's rich maritime history, along with boat building, yachting, and nautical art. The museum strives to enable audiences of all ages to understand and enjoy maritime culture through exhibitions, public events, and educational programs. The museum is developing a new exhibit on lighthouses that opens on October 20th. Other exhibits focus on the cod fishing industry and whaling, the history of navigation, the shellfish of Cape Cod, and more. There's also an extensive scrimshaw collection and historic Cape Cod wooden boats. There's a lecture series and other offerings, including a Young Mariner summer program for kids and a boat building program. The museum's location in Hyannis puts it a short drive from many other attractions, including Cape Cod's lighthouses and ferries to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. Emily Sullivan is the curator for the Cape Cod Maritime Museum, and I had a chance to speak with her during a recent visit to the Cape. So let's listen to that conversation now. here today at the Cape Cod Maritime Museum in Hyannis, Massachusetts. I'm with Emily Sullivan, who is the curator of the museum. And I'll just mention, uh, I thought we were going to do this interview yesterday, but the uh, weather had other ideas and I ran <laughs> to, to flooding at the Sagamore Bridge. So I'm really happy to be this morning here this morning. Uh, thanks so much, Emily, for being on the podcast and for hosting me at the museum here today. Well, thank you so much for coming. Very excited to uh, meet you in person after I've been bothering you via email for uh, <laughs> help with our lighthouse exhibit. Yeah. Oh, it's no bother. I'm, I'm really, really happy to help. Uh, and I'll mention that uh, I had never been in the museum before. So uh, coming in, the, one of the first things you see is a, an exhibit uh, on the, the wall on the left about Bishop and Clerk's lighthouse, one of the now lost local lighthouses uh, in the Hyannis area. And it's, uh, it's nicely done. I was really happy to see that there. Well, thank you. Um, I think uh, it, that is not our current newest exhibit. It's maybe second newest. Um, mm-hmm. It was put up uh, earlier earlier this year, I believe, earlier, or very early, or late last year. But uh, it was done mostly by our public programs person, uh, Mary uh, Everett, who is um, currently helping our summer campers out. But um, she uh, was sort of lending a hand with some of the exhibit stuff before I got pulled in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's nice. So, first of all, um, I understand you are relatively new here. You started early this year, is that Mm -hmm. correct? I started in February. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but why don't we just start by, uh, could you give a a brief history of how did this museum come about? How how and when was it established? Uh, Sure. So technically we were incorporated as an organization in um, 1998, but Mm -hmm. we've had a physical presence in Hyannis um, since 2004, 2005-ish. You know, it takes a long time to get a museum off the ground once you kind of have the idea of, you know, we want to get it together and raise funds and where is it going to go and how are we going to get our collections and what do we want the museum to be about. 
Um, but really the sort of founding idea was that um, most of the folks who founded the museum are you know, huge uh, boat enthusiasts, particularly traditional wooden boats built on the Cape. And you know there are lots of different really great historical societies and museums on the Cape, but most of them don't necessarily specifically focus on our maritime history and heritage. So they thought this would be a really great opportunity, particularly in Hyannis, which is sort of, you know, for a lot of people, kind of your jumping off point into the rest of the Cape, or at least like a central area, because yeah. it's where we've got the ferries, it's, you know, mid-Cape, so you're kind of like, if you're more up or down, you might come through here one way or another. Yeah. Um, so just a good place to kind of centralize a lot of that history and try and find a way to, you know, get people thinking about our traditional watercraft and, you know, the different industries and stuff like that that really make Cape Cod, Cape Cod. Yeah. Uh, and for people who don't know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been to Cape Cod, but for those who haven't, Hyannis, like you said, is very centrally, geographically, very, very centrally located. It's also kind of the commercial center of the Cape. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The largest community, although it's actually officially part of the town of Barnstable, right? Yes, which is very confusing for a lot of folks because mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, certain like weather applications and stuff like Hyannis isn't an option you can pick, and it's like, well, it's sort of its own thing, but it's actually part of Barnstable. Yeah, and, you officially, know. it's the village of Hyannis, yeah. right? But it's a it's a big, big, big village, big community. Speaking of such things, you were just uh, showing me around a little bit in the museum, and you made the point that uh, even though it's in Hyannis slash Barnstable, that it's not just a museum for uh, Hyannis and Barnstable, it is the Cape Cod Maritime Museum, so the exhibits cover a lot of uh, ground. Yeah, correct. Um, Our mission statement is um, the Cape and the Islands, so we also try and get some stuff about, you know, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket in here as well. Again, obviously, they've got, you know, their own dedicated museums and historical societies, but it's like, this is all sort of part of one bigger story, and we want to make sure that everybody sort of feels that you know, their history and story is really preserved here and, you know, kind of support each other's missions and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So uh, if I could ask you just a little bit more about yourself, how did you come to this position? How did you come to be curator here at this museum? Um, So I... As I was just, as I was saying to you before we started, um, I was uh, sort of stuck in the DMV area after grad school. Not you know unwillingly necessarily, but that's kind of just I went to school down there. And DMV that's where I got area meaning uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Okay. And uh, so I was originally um, after grad school, I was working at an exhibit consulting firm called History Associates Incorporated that um, does a lot of just does pretty much anything you could want a historian to do. But what I specifically did a lot of work with them for was um, we'd get clients who, for whatever reason, didn't have the staff or the budget to do their own exhibit script writing or like image research and rights negotiation and stuff like that. So um, me and my coworkers would usually um, kind of get a bit of a, you know, an outline from the museum of this is what we want our exhibits to be. Can you go out and do the research and write all this stuff for us and find the pictures we want to use and stuff like that? Um, occasionally we'd give um, advice about what kind of artifacts they might want to pull from their collection to be on display. So um, did worked for them for about four years. Then the pandemic happened and I sort of fell into a position with the um, uh, U.S. Postal, Postal Inspection Service that was looking for their first in-house historian. Oh. Um, so that was an interesting job because I uh, had probably maybe five total in-office days just because of you know shutdowns and all that sort of stuff. Right. So uh, it was a, a an interest. It was very interesting. Um, got to do a lot of really cool um, sort of you know uncovering a lot of sort of departmental history that has sort of been neglected or forgotten about. Their goal is uh, hoping that people will start to sort of understand. When you say U.S. Postal Inspection Service, you'll have an idea of what they are and who they are and what they do the same way if I say FBI, CIA, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
so I uh, worked with that for a while, but um, was really, you know, the pandemic just was sort of really getting into a point where I'm originally from New England and I, well, my family still lives up here. So um, mm-hmm. I was starting to look for jobs that was closer to home so that it was like if we were continuing to be in, you know, more of a lockdown, can't move around too much, I would be closer to family yeah. um, and happened upon this job listing and thought it sounded like a really great little org- organization. Again, as a New Englander, you just kind of have to be interested in maritime history, at least in passing. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you pick up all this sort of stuff. And um, I just I was like, all right, I, you know, summered on the Cape as a kid and, you know, have always been interested in sort of I have always been interested in coming from a small town in Connecticut. It's always fun to try and find ways where your local history sort of connects to a bigger national story or, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff where it's just like, oh, I had no idea that, you know, there's this connection to this thing that everybody knows about. But like it's very specific to, you know, this part of the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a great opportunity to kind of talk about that. And as I've, you know, started doing a lot of my, you know, introductory research in my first few months here, it was really cool uncovering all this stuff of like, oh, you know, I came here as a kid and didn't really appreciate like, oh, the Cape is this, you know, hub of all this like really interesting maritime industry and like just things of they planned aspects of the D-Day landings here. There's a connection to the Titanic, like all this sort of stuff where it's like, okay, this is really cool history that a lot of people who come to the Cape don't really know or because, you know, you're just here for the beaches and the lobster rolls and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So, you know, it was a great opportunity to sort of be like, okay, well, how can we sort of sit down and, you know, educate people about here are, you know, this isn't just a tourist destination that you come to for fun. It's been a major player in all these different things. But then also once you kind of have that, it's also like we have all these really interesting local stories as well that it's like you can't really get this story anywhere else because Mm -hmm. it's very Cape specific. Yeah. Um, So things like our lighthouses or, you know, just all the sort of, you know, very interesting like traditional watercraft and traditional methods of, uh, you know, um, I was going to say harvesting fish, but I guess that's not technically the really... Oh, I think that's a that's Harvesting an okay term. Fish, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least uh catching fish. Basically I I uh was immediately like this just sounds like a really cool opportunity and I was very fortunate that um our executive director really, you know, we gel really well so she was mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh, how soon can you get here?" and I was like, "As soon as you need me to." And we got started in February, so I've been here for I guess about 6 months now and it's uh-huh. been a really it's been a really good time so far. We've Excellent. got a great group of people working here. Yeah, that well, seems like a, a really good fit. <laughs> So could you tell me a little bit about what some of the major exhibits are here? And actually, uh, part two to that question is, and I don't know, this might not be so easy to answer, but would there be uh, specific exhibits here that would be, do you think would be of interest to lighthouse buffs? Well, besides our bishop and clerks exhibit, which we've, we've already right. mentioned, um, which is probably the most obviously of interest, mm-hmm. um, we uh, currently have um, a bunch of our exhibits, or a bunch of our historical exhibits right now, ha- are themed around um, Provincetown because, um, as we were saying, we want to you know bring in Cape stories from all over the Cape, yep. and we hadn't really historically done anything about um, kind of you know lower Cape stuff. So we've got whaling, cod fishing, and the Portland Gale, which Portland Gale is probably my favorite exhibit we have up right now because it's a really it's a really interesting story um and we've got some really cool artifacts on loan from our friend richard bunasar um who, oh okay you know, i know i know him yeah um so he was very generous to um loan us some stuff um that you know washed up on shore from from the wreck so just some really cool stuff to be able to see um and we've got a great model of of the portland um by keith richards who's one of our uh board members he's not a guitarist for the rolling stones no, no. <laughs> if i could interrupt for just a second sure. the portland gale that you're mentioning is a, a one of the really famous new england shipwrecks happened in 1898 
the, in the Portland Gale of 1898, <laughs> named for the, the wreck of the ship, with about 200 people lost mm-hmm. in the wreck, uh, kind of out in the middle of Cape Cod Bay. I think for a long time people thought it was closer to the Cape than it was, but it was found, been found in relatively recent years. So mm-hmm. I just thought I'd fill in a little bit there. And um, we've been very fortunate to, because because our board members are all similarly sort of, you know, historical nerds, like we all are listening to this podcast and talking here, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've, they've got really great collections that they're always really, you know, generous with, you know, letting us loan things or when they're deciding, you know, hey, I need to kind of, you know, downsize or whatever. Um, they usually, you know, come to us first, which means we've got some really cool stuff. We're a small institution, but we have some really cool stuff in our collections and are always, you know, sort of trying to find ways to make sure that that's really available to the public to, you know, actually get up and close close and personal with some of the local history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you mentioned Richard Bonasar, who actually, who's lent you some uh, artifacts from the Portland. I imagine he maybe he's lent you some things to do with the life-saving service as well. Yes, this, um, he, mm-hmm. he and is actually um, part of the reason we're doing our new exhibit about lighthouses is he uh, um, gave us two very generous um, sort of sets of um, lighthouse keepers equipment and then stuff related to the life-saving service and the Mass Humane Society. So mm-hmm. that uh, has really been a just a very exciting thing. We're very eager to get out there for people to to take a look at. So our lighthouse, our new lighthouse exhibit is hopefully not hopefully, it is scheduled to open in October, um, October 20th, I think is our opening day. Mm-hmm. And um, the life-saving service stuff we're going to use as part of a big exhibit about the history of the Mass Humane Society and the life-saving service because they're sort of, you know, stories that go very well together, which should be opening next spring. We don't have an official opening date for it just yet, but we'll hopefully have a more firm one once we kind of get into the winter and I can really sit down with it and start getting everything organized. Excellent. Yeah. So if people come uh, in the 2023 season, these exhibits will be, yes. will be up and going. Um, we should also have 2023 in the fall. We're doing a big exhibit about um, women's history, which is going to include some stuff about female lighthouse keepers on the oh, Cape. Great. Um, they are also getting featured in our lighthouse exhibit opening this October, but you know, you can't sort of mm-hmm. forget to include them in an exhibit about women's history, um, which has been, uh, that one's been a fun one to, to uh, do some research with because it's again, just sort of a thing of, in the past, our museum has really focused um, a lot on the very technical aspects of boat building and then also history that is sort of very geared towards a white male audience. And we thought, you know, that's all like we're not saying we don't want to continue to tell that story, but it would be nice to include other stories as well. Mm-hmm. So we've thought um, so we've one of our big projects that we've been working on is a um, fairly large exhibit about women's history and um, just in general. Um, all the different ways in which women have really contributed to our maritime history and heritage on the Cape. So um, we've kind of broken it down into stuff of people like women in STEM, women artists, women lighthouse keepers kind of get their own uh, uh, section because it's sort of an unusual profession, but um, Mm -hmm. women in business, um, women in politics, and women in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to, that should be opening uh, this fall. And then we also have um, an exhibit that's sort of similarly related to that, which is going to be talking a little bit about, or not a little bit, it is about the um, Loran station operated in Chatham by um, all female members of the Coast Guard during World War II. Hmm. That should also be opening this spring. We had to do a little bit of shifting around because the Women's History Exhibit was originally going to be opening in spring, and then we're trying to get a grant um, to help fund parts of it, um, Mm -hmm. and it just the timeline works better for it to open in the fall, so we've had to kind of... Originally, like Life Saving Service was also going to be opening in the fall, so it's just been a whole reshuffling. So yeah, well, it's all exciting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I hope to come back next year and see these. Yeah, see absolutely. These yeah, 
I'll just mention one more thing about Richard Bonasar. He actually owns a life-saving station in Plymouth, Massachusetts, at what's called the Gurnet, end of a long peninsula there. It's right near Plymouth or Gurnet Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been to both uh, his station and the lighthouse uh, several times. Um, he recently had a book come out about yes, Point. Yeah, I have it, yeah. Oh, good, good. Uh, uh, Gurnet Point, I think, is the name of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he did a great job with it. I would love to have him on the podcast, but he tends to be kind of quiet about uh, things and like to, likes to be behind the scenes. And, yeah, he's a yeah. little, not quite reclusive because he's, you know, out and about and friendly with folks and stuff, but definitely a little reluctant to uh, sit yeah. down and have a yarn sometimes. Yeah, maybe I can talk him into being on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, anything else about the Lighthouse exhibit that people might be interested in hearing? Um, so what we're basically planning is um, it's going to have a brief overview of sort of the history of why we have lighthouses on the Cape, because, you know, for a lot of people who come here at this point in history, it's just sort of, you know, oh, like Chatham, Nauset, et cetera, are just kind of fun things that you look at, take a picture. You don't really think about how, like, these were crucial to saving lives in periods before GPS and, you know, radar and stuff like that. And I mean, lighthouses and, you know, lightships and stuff like that are still very useful for, uh, you know, navigational aids in today's yes. society. It's just, you know, we rely on them less than we did in periods before we had all this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, want to sort of give that context of, you know, these aren't just pretty buildings that people erected because they thought, you know, well, oh, this will be fun to have in my backyard. They were really, again, a, a crucial part of life on the Cape. And once we've kind of given that story, we really are kind of transitioning a little bit more into um, lighthouse keepers and what they had to do to keep the lights lit Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, we were very generously gifted a very impressive collection of um, lightkeeper tools from our friend Richard Bunasar. I can't say with 100% certainty, but it's one of the most complete sets of like brass um, lightkeeper equipment um, that'll in basically any museum that we're sort of aware of at this point. So we've got like a dustpan, an oil drip pan, um, the different oil measure cups. Um, so all of that is gonna be out on display. Um, we're very excited about it because it's a really cool set and people yeah. have really, when we've kind of given a little bit of sneak previews while our collections assistant was starting to catalog everything, people were very like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I, you know, what, oh my, and like yeah. one of the cans still like reeks of kerosene. So you're not going to necessarily get the smell experience when it's out on display, but it's just, you know, when we've sort of given it, uh, when we've shown people it as a, you know, a preview, it's always been a really fun reaction of just, wow, like, you know, yeah. this hasn't had oil in it for God knows how long. And it's still just really, mm-hmm. really strong. That smell stays stays around. We have an <laughs> yeah. oil house or a Portsmouth Harbor light where I spend a lot of time and the, it hasn't had kerosene it probably since the 1920s and it still smells like kerosene oh my gosh that's crazy yeah. <laughs> um yeah so basically we, we're gonna have a light keeper uniform um we've got a lens polishing cloth um a pennant and um, most of this stuff he was able to find in either from um like you know good provenance that it was originally from the cape or at least um antique shops that are you know in new england mm-hmm. and stuff so it's we don't necessarily have positive identification of all of it was used at Chatham, but like it's it's you know something that was used at least in this area, which I also think is kind of fun because you know mm-hmm. at the point that we've gotten the equipment from, you know everything has been standardized by the life saving service, but or sorry lighthouse service. I'm still thinking about the <laughs> USLSS exhibit. Yeah, it's still fun that it's like it's not just something of you know we found this in California. It's it's something that was was used here. 
so and then we're going to do we're going to kind of conclude the exhibit with a little bit of a discussion of lighthouses today and you know talk about sort of um, preservation efforts and you know things that threaten these historic structures and mm-hmm. you know kind of just try and conclude on a note um, for, so that folks sort of think about when you do drive by uh, you know it's not just something that is always going to exist if we just sort of let it hang out it's like no these take active you know you need to take active care yes. of them even if they're just a historic building versus you know actively being used and stuff like that so yeah absolutely that all sounds <laughs> sounds good to me like, like you're uh, touching on all the the important aspects of it so uh, that's going to be great. I look, really look forward to it. I applaud you for, for doing that. Uh, so if you just uh, could touch on a, a couple other things sure. here. Uh, what is your Young Mariner program at the museum? So our Young Mariner program is our summer camp. Um, mm-hmm. This is its second year in operation. The It's mostly a um, STEM-focused camp. We want to get kids sort of, you know, out on out on the water thinking about our local maritime ecosystems and, you know, also giving them, it's not a full sailing camp, the kids are not gonna come off here ready to take a sunfish out on the lake, but they learn some basics of navigation and how boats work, how boats are designed. The general curriculum involves um, weather permitting. Uh, We take them out every day on our cat boat or our research vessel um, adventure to go uh, around Hyannis Harbor. Um, Today they were supposed to go out to an oyster farm to um, uh, chat with the farmers and talk about how um, you know our like shellfishing industry has sort of grown and evolved over the years, but um, unfortunately, I think uh, there was a bit of an incident last night with the wind, so uh, mm. the oyster farm is closed for business today. Oh. <laughs> but um, we've got that. They come back to the museum to do a little bit of interaction with our exhibits, so that you know you can sort of get an appreciation for some of the other stuff that you can't necessarily teach out on the water. Um, And then in the classroom, we've also got microscopes. So when you take water samples or smaller critters, you can get under there and take a look at them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really just a a great opportunity for kids to really get a better appreciation for, again, not just like, oh, boats are pretty and, you know, they work somehow. It's this is how we actually can make a boat float and how you know why hulls are particularly shaped the way that they are or how like what why is something sail powered versus a motorboat um and then you know thinking about things like what critters call this part of the world home how can we take better care of them Mm -hmm. how can we interact peacefully with with the world around us and stuff um and i there is a little bit of the um history element as well um just because you know you want to make sure that that's part of the story when you're talking about well why are we you know farming oysters versus just going out and you know mm-hmm. looking for them in Hyannis Harbor but it's mostly uh it's mostly stem focused so uh we're very excited about it um I think this year I don't have the exact figures but um we do offer um scholarship programs for locals and uh, I want to say maybe a Approximately 50% of our kids are on scholarship, which is a really great opportunity um, just to make sure that we're, you know, supporting our our local um, families and stuff and giving opportunities to folks in the area. Um, It's for both locals and tourists. Um, It runs for four days during the summer. Um, I think our we started at the end of our first week was maybe June 28th and we are wrapping up um, at the end of the month or early next month. Mm -hmm. So next year it'll probably be approximately the same weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, We're hoping that um, as the program grows and develops, it'll be something we can offer all year round or at least a version of it because you know, you might not necessarily wanna be going out in the water in February if it's, you know, real icy out there yeah. <laughs> um, but um 
you know, just a good opportunity to try and continue to build that relationship with, um, you know, the next generation of making sure that they're good stewards of our of our local area. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I was just thinking how it's the museum is the Cape Cod Maritime Museum. It's not the Cape Cod Maritime History Museum. It's not. It covers history, but also the the present and future of the the environment here yeah. as well. Yeah, that's something we really, um, you know, feel very passionately about. Um, in particular, with our sort of, you know exhibit schedule moving forward and stuff, we're always trying to think of making sure we have at least one or two exhibits that sort of talk about our natural history and kind of where we're at and how we're going and where we might be in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to kind of keep that in mind for folks of like, hey, you know, it's great that we're working to try and, you know, preserve whale species on the Cape, but what are the threats that still face them? It's not just a, oh, we don't hunt them for whale oil anymore everything's great you know um so it's it's nice that we are able to sort of have that voice and have you know a bunch of opportunities to sort of tell that story and make mm-hmm. it clear that it's not just history is in the past and it's done you know mm-hmm. it's like we're, we're constantly changing things are always evolving and uh we when we're sort of thinking too about a lot of our public programming we kind of want to lean towards that of like we want to make sure that we are doing stuff that's like what's sort of the cutting edge in boat design or what's you know currently a thing that scientists are concerned about with our seashores and stuff like that so mm-hmm. when we do our lecture series and stuff we're also trying to keep that in mind just to try and keep the conversation going yeah yeah well since you mentioned it uh, i was going to ask you about the lecture series uh, can you tell me a little bit about that sure so our lecture series is run by our um, public programming specialist mary who i've already mentioned um and basically every it's about every other she does a she sort of chunks up the year into different uh, seasons. So I think our next sort of scheduled time is October through May, I wanna Mm -hmm. say, is um, what we're kind of looking at for fall and winter and spring. Um, And the lectures are held um, approximately every other Sunday. Um, We're doing it via Zoom right now, just because, you know, people are still justifiably concerned about the pandemic. Um, But we're hopeful, fingers crossed, although we said this last year too, so who knows, Mm -hmm. um, that we'll be able to start going back in person maybe this spring, while also trying to find a way that if we do go in person, um, find a way to make sure that we're recording it so that if you can't make this session in person, you'll be able to access it online. Um, So right now, all of our past Zooms are available on our website. Um, We've got a really great array of different topics from horseshoe crabs to lighthouses with uh, with Jeremy. I happen to know a little bit about that. (laughs) Um, And uh, stuff, uh, we're always trying to look for folks who have like, you know, um, recent interesting stories about sailing trips they've taken on, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, on their vessels or folks who have, you know, experience in with the Coast Guard or the Navy, um, people who are knowledgeable about other historical topics. So it's a really great um, broad array of stuff we have available. And um, I'm very excited. It's something that we're still trying to make accessible to folks, even when they yeah. can't come down here. Because since we do do it in the off season, I know it's something where it's like, if you're not, if you're someone who does come to the Cape, mostly in the summertime, you know, it's kind of a bummer when you don't have programming at an institution that you like that you can mm-hmm. watch from your couch, um, or you'd have to, you know, trek down here to, to see it. So it's yeah. nice that it's, we've tried to make it a little bit more um, available to folks when they're not necessarily on Cape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did a presentation on Nantucket Sound Lighthouses for the museum uh, early last year, and it was a pleasure. And I believe that's still available online, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was great to, to be involved in that. So, And there's also a rowing program, Sarah? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So our rowing program is... Um, 
It's an opportunity to row in a traditional fixed seat rowing gig. So it's not um, the sort of shell that you'd be doing in like college rowing or anything like that. Um, so it's a really cool opportunity. It's not really the sort of vessel that you're just gonna kind of stumble across on in other uh, gyms or rowing memberships. Um, they meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, usually with sessions in the very early morning and sort of late afternoon after um, folks are off work. We offer uh, $10 taster sessions, and then it's $150 per year for um, a membership to the whole season. And I think they go, I'm not, I have not actually, I'm, Liz is the one who's more um, knowledgeable about it because she's actually, she actually participates. But um, I think it's, it's you know, weather permitting, um, uh, mostly all year thing. So if you like mm -hmm. to row, it's a really great opportunity to get out on the water, meet with other folks who really are passionate about it, and you know, just a good group of folks to get out and have some have some fun with on yeah. a on a Thursday or on a weekend. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. Uh, and uh, there's so many programs you have here, but I just uh, need to ask you, what is the annual Scholars Prize? I saw um, that on the website. That's another new program that we've just launched within the last um, year or so. Um, but it's aimed at high school juniors um, in Barnstable. And uh, basically students can write essays um, either about Cape Cod maritime history or Cape Cod marine biology. Um, and then we have a panel of judges that reviews the essays and awards first prize $1,000, second prize 500 and third uh, 250 mm -hmm. So um, just another way to try and get our you know local kids sort of excited about and thinking about their community and the history and, um, you know, ecology of the area and stuff like that so yeah. another great opportunity to try and you know also give back to um to our local community because it's something too where you know i feel like a lot of people kind of have the or not i don't i don't necessarily know this for certain but i feel like there is occasionally an impression in tourist communities that when it's a museum or whatever that you're maybe not sort of there for locals um and that's not true we are you know really this is not something where it's like oh we don't want you to come here unless you've got you know, you're just here for a week. It's like, no, this is like, a, we want this to be a community center for people to come and learn about their community. Mm -hmm. um, so just another way to try and foster that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love yeah. it. It's a great, great philosophy. And I think a lot of lighthouse organizations could, could learn something from this. <laughs> You've got me, me thinking about possibilities. So just one other uh, program I want to touch on, you have a boat building program also. We do. Um, so we have a working boat shop downstairs. Um, our boat right is here basically five days a week, um, working on restoring uh, historic boats. He's also just a general huge asset to our museum because he's always ready and willing to help with any installation or repairs and stuff that needs to get done. Um, but uh, he is currently working on restoring a um, beetle cat, which he's almost done with. But um, the boat building program, uh, we run uh, in conjunction or through Barnstable Recreation. Um, so for kids um, in grades six through eight in Barnstable, you can apply um, to do a boat building program, which runs from October through December. And the kids basically learn all the nuts and bolts of, you know, this is how you build a boat and you build a boat at the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, so actually when I interviewed for the job and was still sort of in the, Liz wanted, because I was in Maryland, I'd interviewed via Zoom. Um, Liz wanted me to come to the museum and see it in person before I said yes, because, mm -hmm. you know, this is where you're going to be working. Um, and when I dropped by, it was um, right before Christmas. And so the kids had were just finishing up their boat. And um, the so the session that was um, last year, the um, mother of one of the kids bought the boat for her daughter as a Christmas present. <laughs> um, and the boat was named uh, 
the Cinco Amigos because there were five kids in the boat building class that um, built off of it. And I was just like, that's such a sweet, like, amazing Christmas present, first of all. Um, But just, you know, it's a great way to sort of give kids, again, an understanding of, like, this is this is how boats work but also it's a great practical application for a lot of math that you know i was not really a math kid growing up but like had i you know you're, when you're in geometry you kind of sit there and think like when am i ever going to need to know this yeah and it's like well here's why you need to know this and sure you may never build a boat again but isn't it cool that you've you know done this application and then you also never know when you're when you're working with kids that age too of like you know, I got interested in history because of a, you know, a program that I did in elementary school that was like a living history thing at our local museums. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, who knows if these kids are maybe going to grow up to become, you know, boat builders or architects or some other kind of, you know, yeah. hands on career because they did this when they were in sixth grade, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. But things like that just give kids such a sense of accomplishment, which oh, yeah, is so important and can carry over to everything. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, how cool to, to be able to take out your own boat that you built with your own two hands yeah. at, you know, when you're in seventh grade. <laughs> wow. That is that is tremendous. Yeah. So I have two last questions for you, and these are for bonus points. Okay. okay. All right. So the first of my last questions is, uh, this is a very general question. You can take it any way you want, but... Uh, a lot of our, we have listeners all over the country, of course, and some in other countries as well. Uh, for lighthouse or maritime history buffs, or just uh, history buffs in general, for, let's just say for anybody who's never visited Cape Cod, what would you tell them? Why should they come to Cape Cod? Oh, that's such a such a difficult question to keep in like you know to rein it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so the Cape, I mean, is just a really it's a really beautiful place just in all senses of the world like you know everything about it is just the from the architecture of the local buildings to you know the wildlife that live here and everything it's it's gorgeous Mm -hmm. um but also i really feel like from a history standpoint it's just it's such an interesting community because for a very long time it was a little bit sort of isolated from the rest of not just Massachusetts, but it was, you know, for a long time, the Cape was very rural and very, you know, kind of, if not underdeveloped compared to necessarily like other parts of New England, it was just sort of, it was just kind of there doing its own business. But at the same time, the people who lived here had these insane adventures from the perspective of someone from like the 1850s, where, you know, if you were living in, you know, central Illinois on your farm, you don't get to do things like go on a boat and visit China. That's like a completely foreign experience to you that you're never going to experience. But folks from the Cape, because you were just engaging in maritime, you know, industry, Mm -hmm. you had to go all around the world looking for whales, selling your products to different places, importing, you know, luxury goods from Asia and Europe and Africa. And how like crazy is that to think, you know, that was just an experience that these people in this otherwise very rural rural and isolated part of Massachusetts got to have. And mm-hmm. just how that then kind of influenced their own relationships with their neighbors or with other you know Americans they met in these ports or the people that they met in the ports themselves. And it's just something I feel like a lot of people don't really have an appreciation for of like, oh, you know, back in the day, well, they didn't have planes, so of course they wouldn't have gone there. And it's like, no, they like went on these insane years long voyages, sometimes yeah. with their families. Um, if you were if you were a captain and, you know, your wife was willing to, you know, hole up in a tiny little cabin on your boat for four years yeah. um, and just how 
how many of those stories have also been preserved in like diaries and letters and stuff that, you know, various historical societies have done a really great job of collecting and, you know, um, reproducing in a way where you can go out and read some of these stories and see what those people were really thinking about. Wow, like I'm in Hawaii. What is that like? And how are my how are my sort of, you know, adjusting to like this all I've known is Massachusetts or Nantucket or whatever mm -hmm. and now I'm in this tropical island with people from all over the world so I really I really love that aspect of it and you know a lot of the places on the Cape um, museums historical societies libraries have done a really great job of bringing that story to life and have some really cool artifacts so there are yeah. a lot of really nice places to come and just sort of see some of that stuff out on display mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, beautifully said. I'm sure uh, there's other aspects if I let you go on. Oh, you yeah. Could. <laughs> and uh, there's there's so many reasons to come here, but that that's really, really good what you said. So I have one final question for extra, extra bonus okay. points. Okay. Uh, what has been your favorite thing? I know it's you're still uh, fairly new here at this museum, but what has been your favorite thing about your association with the Cape Cod Maritime Museum? If we're going to get a little personal. Um, so my first jobs in sort of the historical field were a lot more sort of person facing. I was doing a lot of, you know, um, coordination with other local historical societies in my hometown of Guilford, Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, alongside the curator at the, um, at the Guilford Keeping Society. And, uh, but also doing stuff like programming for kids, tours of our buildings, um, helping put out exhibits, you know, physically going through our archives and rehousing stuff in acid free folders and stuff like that. Um, once I transitioned into my previous two jobs working at History Associates and with the Postal Inspection Service, um, it became a lot more behind the scenes stuff, which I enjoy a lot because, you know, I like doing the research and the writing and all that sort of stuff. But when the final product would kind of be ready to go, if I was doing a project for, say, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, I would have to go to New Orleans to see it once it had been fabricated and installed and open to the public. And I wouldn't, I would just see it that one day as a tourist. I don't get to sort of see people's, you know, reactions to it in real time. I don't really get to sit with it in any meaningful way and like, you know, kind of figure out what worked about this, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. Are there ways we can tweak it when we get cool new donations or, you know, new scholarship has happened, so we need to update some of the panels. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that's really great about being here is that you get all of that in this mm -hmm. role and you get to, you know, have a lot more of that face-to-face -face interaction with people that are coming to the museum, find out what they're interested in mm -hmm. um, and just find ways so that you're telling them a story that they're excited about and also telling them stories you're excited about in ways that will make them excited about it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really great. And it's just been, it's, I feel like particularly coming off the pandemic, it's, it's just been nice to sort of be in an environment where it's like, that is a little bit more my day to day instead of just being kind of quietly sitting in my room, reading books, reading newspaper articles, stuff like that. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. But also just in general, I really, I know I kind of touched on this already, but it's like, because this is a place that, you know, was a big part of my childhood and you know I really didn't have a lot of sort of interaction with the history of it because I was you know 10 years old and even though I liked history I wasn't necessarily in charge of what we did on our vacation so I couldn't be like I want to go to those historical societies or whatever yeah. you know it's a uh, it's been nice to sort of have that kind of more intimate relationship with the history of a place that has been very important to me and my mm -hmm. family and stuff. And, you know, I know I was just a summer tourist, but, you know, it was a, it, it, you know, it's just you, you get very fond of a place and it's fun to have that new dimension of understanding how and why it came to be the way that it is. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, that's 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 great. That all makes perfect sense to me, and it just seems like a, a really good fit. So I'm glad. Yeah, you... I'm very very happy to be here. So great. Well, they seem. It seems to me they're very lucky to have you here too. <laughs> well, thank you. So Emily Sullivan, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you again for hosting me and showing me around the museum. It's a real pleasure, and I look forward to uh, more association yeah, with the museum absolutely. in the future. Look forward to coming back and seeing the lighthouse exhibit and other new exhibits. You're yep. going to be. October 20th. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, get, I want to make sure our listeners know that, that if they come to Cape Cod in uh, 2023, uh, and I was going to say and beyond, but how is the uh, Lighthouse exhibit slated for a certain period of time? So in its current iteration, we're planning on it being here uh, until probably spring of 2025, but okay. we basically intend on it being a semi-permanent exhibit. Um, we'll probably we're going to move it to a different part of the museum in 2025 to make room for something else in that um, particular part of the museum. And okay. then when we've done that, we'll maybe do a bit of a refresh. So maybe it'll be more focused a little bit on like, you know, the science of how lighthouses work or mm-hmm. something, which is not missing from the current iteration, but it's just sort of not a, as big of a focus because mm-hmm. we want it to be more on the keepers, et cetera. Okay. So um, we're hoping that there will basically be a permanent presence of lighthouses at Excellent. this institution with, you know, kind of how can we jazz things up as we need yeah. moving forward but yeah, yeah. Well, i'm glad to hear it but as far as the uh the exhibit that uh, will open october 20th people can see that in the next couple of seasons yes so i recommend very highly that our listeners come and check out this museum along with all the other great things to see on, on the cape lighthouses and a lot of other things <laughs> um, so again emily thank you so much i really appreciate it well thank you so much for having me i appreciate it To learn more, go to capecodmaritimemuseum.org. Anyone going to Cape Cod to see lighthouses needs to visit the museum, especially after their new lighthouse exhibit opens in October. Mm. We have another segment in this episode about a lighthouse in New York State that's not well known, but I think it's pretty unique and interesting. Right, Jeremy. The lighthouse at Verona Beach was one of three built on Oneida Lake to aid navigation in conjunction with the opening of the Barge Canal as part of the Erie Canal system in 1918. The other two lighthouses built at the time were at Brewerton and Frenchman's Island. All three of the concrete towers are about 85 feet tall. The lighthouse at Verona Beach began service in late summer 1917. In 1920, New York State created its own department for managing navigational aids, including a program for hiring lighthouse keepers. New York is the only state to ever maintain its own aids to navigation department. The Verona Beach Lighthouse Association was formed in 2002 to save the lighthouse, which had become a popular site for dumping trash. More than 150 truckloads of debris were removed and the windows and entry door were replaced. The New York Power Authority and Canal Corporation are investing more than $300 million over five years to revitalize the state's canal system. As part of their Reimagine the Canal program, Verona Beach Lighthouse was renovated and illuminated with LED lighting in 2021. Terry Knight is a founder and longtime volunteer for the Verona Beach Lighthouse Association, and Bruce Woodward has served as the group's treasurer. I spoke with Terry and Bruce at Terry's home during a recent visit to New York. Let's listen to that conversation now. So I'm here at Verona Beach, New York, and I am with Terry Knight and Bruce Woodward, who uh, have both been very involved with the preservation of the Verona Beach Lighthouse here. Uh, And uh, thank you so much for being with me, Terry and Bruce. I really appreciate it. 
Not a problem. Thank you for hosting me at your home, Barry. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So let me ask you, uh, starting out, I think a lot of people uh, probably are surprised that there's a lighthouse where it is here. Um, why, why was the lighthouse built here in the first place? And uh, let me preface that with when, when was it built and why was it built? I think it was 1915, wasn't it? No, that's when it was completed, they, the barge canal. They were putting in the barge canal, mm -hmm. and they were putting in the barge canal for um, commercial transportation of large large ships. You can go around the world from this area here. Mm -hmm. And the three lighthouses would guide the boats to the canal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an unusual tower compared to the, the lighthouses we're familiar with, you know, on the Atlantic Ocean or even on the Great Lakes. It uh, doesn't look like a traditional lighthouse. But it is still it still has an active light. Is that is that correct? Yeah, every three seconds it goes. It uh, it blinks on and off. As a matter of fact, my husband and I uh, will call the Canal Corp and say, uh, "Your lights out. It's a hundred watt light bulb." Yeah, yeah. That every three seconds. Yeah. yeah. So the the uh, this uh, area here, the waterway here, is considered part of the Erie Canal system, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, historically, a super important waterway connecting the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so now, how Terry, how did you get involved with this lighthouse? When my husband and I decided we wanted to live up here, we looked for places to live, uh, we found a lot that we really liked. And my husband said, I can build, most of the other properties up here were older, uh, more like the house next door, were like 100-year-old uh, seasonal uh, uh, Basically cottages. Cottages. No and insulation, it, no... Right, and he says, by the time I renovate and insulate, and or, or a lot of the a lot of the people, if you look down here, actually tore them down. Mm -hmm. So we had this lot that we liked. We bought the lot, and over a period of three years, we built what you see now. We were boaters, so we always saw the lighthouse, but we never got that close to it. Mm -hmm. When I walked over to look at the lighthouse, I I, w I was like, whoa. There, it was a dump, literally a dump. There were car tires, bathtubs, bicycles, mm -hmm. box springs and mattresses, garbage, literal mm -hmm. garbage with rats and little critters running around. And I says, oh, this isn't good. The, and it was packed up against the lighthouse. Uh, the lighthouse was totally concrete at the time. Mm -hmm. And there were like cracks in it and just was not a good situation. Yeah. Um, I asked, I started asking some of the, most of the people up here are seasonal. We are unusual that we're up here year round. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So I started asking people that, and they says, we've tried, we've called the Department of Transportation, we've called the town, we've called everybody. Yeah. Nobody said there's anything we can do. I thought, okay, I'll take on that challenge. <laughs> um, filed a DBA, uh, held one little uh, meeting at the American Legion in Sylvan Beach, mm -hmm. um, and just started getting it out there, save our lighthouse. Uh, dues were $5. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bruce and I were talking this morning, I think the pin that I have, um, I think we gave everybody a pin Mm -hmm. If they five dollars, we gave them uh, their membership yeah. card. Mm -hmm. um, we started doing dinner theaters. We started doing just different fundraising events. Mm -hmm. We got up to over five hundred members wow. at one point in time. All it over was the country. All over the country. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, then they started to take notice of us. Then um, um, our senators, our politicians, our town supervisor. Yeah. 
Yeah, they all started showing up and taking an interest. And then they took 150 dump trucks of garbage and debris out of there. And then after that, the neighbors got together, um, put in the concrete sidewalk, we put in the kiosk in the back, mm -hmm. we landscaped. Um, we got it to the point where we, oh, we had to convince the Canal Corp to paint it white. Yeah. Uh, they said that was not original, that was not historic. Yeah. Um, we were told that the lighthouse was non-essential now, okay. that it really... It, it was just unpainted before, right? Right, yes. Yeah. 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 It looks it's nice just, white. Yeah, yeah, it looks nice white. I think so, yeah. Um, Bruce went in one day, we used to keep our lawnmower inside the lighthouse, and did you go in in the winter to check on it and there was ice crystals forming inside or water? Uh, one year there was, yeah. And so we had, I mean, now it was, now the whole lighthouse is going to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, we put a little pressure on uh, some of the people. We went to the <laughs> Histori Historic Society. If you see, there's a sign now, Historic Lighthouse. Um, one thing led to another, and this is, you know, this is where we are today. Now, I believe New York realizes the historic significance. Yeah. Back in the late 1900s, early 2000, Nobody was interested in Not doing so anything. so much, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this was around when you started the group and then the cleanup happened? And uh, around 1998, we mm -hmm. started building, and I think it was around 2002 that we really took off. Mm -hmm. We incorporated, we got our 501c3, yeah. um, and we just had a lot of fun uh, doing it. We'd have, we'd have cleanup days where people would come from all over, uh, and we'd do hamburgs and hot dogs and... Uh, uh, soda and stuff, and everybody would get together to clean it up. And yeah. um, so it was a community effort. Probably. It was a community effort, and yeah, we, had, we always tried to keep that in the back of our mind. You know, let's make this, let's involve the community, yeah. um, because there are a lot of people out there who think a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a local landmark. I'm I mean, sure. how many people can say? They have a lighthouse in their own backyard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what drew you to the, the lighthouse and the organization here, Bruce? Um, well, I grew up on the ocean um, in Massachusetts, and we had lighthouses all over, mm -hmm. lighthouses, lightships. And growing up, you just kind of took them for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, okay. Uh, I remember in high school, hey, let's go find a place to party. Well, there's a lighthouse right over there. Sounds good. Um, huh. And looking back, it's like lighthouses were a part of almost everything we did. Uh-huh. They often are, like sort of like centerpieces for a community, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but if it, it's too easy to take them for granted if you don't appreciate them. But I moved here. And I was like a fish out of water. I was totally out of my element. I mm -hmm. no water, no. Wow, what am I doing here? So I heard about this, and I went looking for it. And one thing led to another, and uh, then I heard about a lighthouse association, mm -hmm. and I looked into that, and I ran into Terry. Yeah. And she told me about it, and she's like, oh, yeah, I started that years ago. Hey, no problem, yeah. And you served as the treasurer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So it must for both of you, it must have been nice to see the the restoration work that was done. Was it last year, right? Was they the, just finished. Yeah. As, oh, a bit, just, as a matter of fact, there were some uh, there were some people over there a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. And now uh, this, I wish you could stay longer because if you could see it at night, it illuminates these glowing mm -hmm. colors. And even one night around Christmas time, I wish they would do it more. The the lighthouse illuminates purple, yellow, green, just just variegated colors. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I can't imagine. I'd like to get out on the lake some night to see it. I mean, yeah. now you can't miss it. So is the New York Canal Association that did the restoration? Do I is that no, right? No, my understanding when I talked with them when they were going to start, mm -hmm. it was the New York State Department of Transportation. Okay. Okay. But the canal, In, maybe the Canal Association's part of yes, that? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the Canal Corp is part of uh, the New York State Thruway Authority. Okay. Um, same budget, pretty mm -hmm. much. Kind of like a maritime uh, throughway in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, at a certain point in time, somebody decided, well, we need to focus more on the throughway infrastructure rather than any kind of marine yeah, yeah. aspects. And uh, so not, not a lot was done for quite a while, yeah. but things are turning around. Yeah. The last time I talked with someone from the Department of Transportation about the lighthouse, he said the revenues have gone way down. Um, hmm. That and that was a problem. That the revenues were uh, pretty good there for a while, but people just weren't going through the locks the way they were. Look at the ton of boats we see now. I mean, yeah. that's why I'm wondering if they're still charging or if they're. I don't know. I'm kind of surprised, to be honest, with the price of gas. Yeah. yeah. There's been talk of, well, people are not going to really take the boat out as often. But I'm just th I'm thinking about this restoration again. Uh, again, it must be uh, gratifying for you to see oh, it in such beautiful shape. It was a pretty substantial amount of work they just, yes. just did. Yes. Oh, right? yeah. 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 And I, I would think that... that my guess is that might not have happened if you didn't raise the awareness of, of people with the, the lighthouse. I, I would like to think that, mm -hmm. but I don't think uh, it would have. I think you're right. It'll be interesting. Uh, Brewerton, uh, that's the sister. There's yeah. th there's one on Frenchman's Island, which is very difficult to get to. So I don't expect they would be doing much there. Right. Um, and this one is in a residential neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's part of the. You know, you, they tell you when you buy property, look at what's around you. Mm -hmm. Look at the other property. Well, yeah. it's our lighthouse. Yeah, they yeah. should keep it up. So I'm with my traveling with my friend Jim Malone here, and we're actually going to go see the Brewerton uh, light shortly. Um, so by the way, I just want to mention to people listening, if they can hear, you might be able to hear Seamus the dog in the background <laughs> here, uh, panting and walking around. Uh, he's a really friendly guy, and uh, that's, if you're wondering what that, that's not me panting. That's, uh, <laughs> no, there, no, we're, no, we don't do that. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful spot here, and uh, it's great to see this lighthouse. And so I've seen pictures of it over the years, I've never been here before. And it certainly looks better now oh. than it, it's looked in the, the pictures in the past, especially Thank before you. you got involved. Yeah. Uh, but it's amazing what you accomplished here. And uh, again, uh, thank you so much and uh, congratulations on what you've accomplished. Thank you. Thank I, I, well, I have one final question for you before okay. we wrap it up, though. What, for, this is for both of you. What, what have you enjoyed most about your association with this lighthouse, would you say? I think the people that we've met. I was just going to say, yeah. We've met so many nice people. And so, like, I never would have met Bruce, who has always loved lighthouses. Lighthouses were never 
meant that much to me or were a passion mm -hmm. uh, until I moved right next door to one. And uh, um, the first words out of Bruce's mouth were, what can I do to help? The lighthouse, wow. <laughs> yeah. um, and so many people have said, I've met you. Mm -hmm. um, that's been that's been the best part. And the gratification of seeing where it was before yeah. uh, to where it is now. Yeah. yeah, and just the appreciation from people. I used to mow the lawn periodically over mm -hmm. there. And I was always amazed at the people that would show up just to look at it. Yeah, lighthouse nuts. Not, mostly. not knowing <laughs> if they could even go inside or not. Yeah, I would open the door and let them mm -hmm. take a peek. Yeah, you know, supervised, but uh, they were so appreciative of it. Oh, yeah. the other thing that and and it's still happening. I mean, I can look out my you can look out my window there, and I can sit on the patio and see the lighthouse. We saw graduation time. Mm. They come and take pictures mm -hmm. proms they come and take pictures mm -hmm. people have gotten married down there mm -hmm. uh, weddings. I, had, I was gonna say I had a neighbor that knew I was associated with it oh I'd like to get married down there can you do something then, for me and then you'll see um, a, a, month, a year later they come back and they've got their baby after their baptism down there so um, yeah, that's great that that's really uh, super and then there was a, a model some professional photographers yeah, photo shoot. Yeah, up and mm -hmm. Uh, we have the bald eagle up here. The bald eagles at one point in time were nesting up there. Oh, wow. And someone from National Ge Geographic was out here taking pictures of the bald eagle. Of course, the cool. lighthouse. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, they're definitely centerpieces of the community. Yeah. This is an example. They are, and it's yeah. kind of a, yeah. it's a nice feeling. Yeah, um, it is. It gets you involved with the community. Um, mm -hmm. You feel like you're when you walk away, you've accomplished something. Yeah. You can turn around and point at it and say, well, I had something to do with that. Yeah. I did that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's for a good cause. Yeah. Um, well, you did. You guys have accomplished a lot here. And, uh, and we had fun doing it. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Terry and Bruce. I really thank appreciate Thank you. It. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. There is limited parking near Verona Beach Lighthouse. The grounds are open, but it's surrounded by homes, so be sure to respect the privacy of the neighbors. I want to thank Terry and Bruce for the interview and for their hospitality, and a big thank you also to my friend Jim Malone, who arranged the visit there. Many thanks also to the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Check out uslhs.org to learn more about tours, preservation grants, the passport program, and all the other things the Society offers. Donations and memberships help to support this podcast. In the next episode of Lighthearted, we'll have a conversation with Lucian Horvat of the Valencia Island Development Company in Ireland. He's had a lot to do with developing Valencia Island Lighthouse as a tourist attraction. I had the pleasure of meeting Lucian when I was in Ireland in July. The musician Jan Barry once said, quote, When the darkness comes, keep an eye on the light, whatever that is for you, no matter how far away it seems, unquote. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light.